Well, hello there, everyone. Thanks for listening to this, the St. Peter podcast. This is Pastor Ruth speaking. You're about to listen to a sermon entitled Being Present. It was recorded here on March 17th, 2019. It was the first in our Lent 2019 sermon series entitled Everyday Spirituality, Becoming More Like Jesus Through Our Everyday Activities. At the end of the sermon, I quote from Barbara Brown Taylor's An Altar in the World. Many thanks to her for her description of labyrinths. And the passage of scripture that this sermon was based on comes from Mark 5, 21 to 43. Let me read that for you now. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, My daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman who was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask, Who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, Don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went into where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to tell anyone about this and told them to give her something to eat. As you may know, I live right off the Millennium Trail. I can walk out my front door and be on it in less than five minutes. There are two branches of the path nearby and they are both equally lovely. One is as Midwest flat as it can be, and the other has glacially created soft inclines. I can't even call them hills. They're just soft inclines. Both branches are near ponds, which in the summer are teeming with life, especially cranes. By the way, I saw my first cranes of the season this year, so there's got to be spring there somewhere, right? Last year, there were always bunnies hopping alongside of me as I walked on the path and dragonflies soaring around with me each morning as we enjoyed together God's creation. 
For a suburban community, there is a delicious amount of nature to soak in every day if me and my neighbors wanted to do so. But while there is so much loveliness so close by, I rarely see anyone on the trails while, I'm, while I am walking them. Perhaps that's because I'm normally walking at around 5.30 in the morning, but I sort of think not. Because most of the time, I see people exercising through the concrete jungle that is my subdivision. Steps away is a beautiful, soft path filled with gorgeous things for eyes and souls to behold, but most of my neighbors run on pavement surrounded by houses. Perhaps even more startling, at least to me, are the number of people who jog past my house uh, talking on their phones. There are at least four people who on a daily basis do this with earbuds, but buds in their, in their ears, running and talking to somebody at the same time. I don't have enough energy or breath to do that. Those people, four people are only the people who do it on an everyday basis. There's a whole bunch of people who do it frequently. Have you ever noticed how hard a time we have being present? Being in the here and now, enjoying what's around us, noticing what's around us these days. It's tempting to think that being present isn't very important because we have such a hard time with it. But when we aren't present, when we aren't grounded, when we aren't in touch with ourselves and our surroundings, be they people, places, or things, when we aren't present to our God, we easily become overly drawn into the problems of the past. We easily become overly anxious about our future, and we are unable to do the work to which Christ is calling us in the present. I wonder if Jesus struggled to be present like we do. He certainly had incredible weight on his shoulders as he ministered and walked the path towards his suffering and death. Consider just the events leading up to today's text from Mark. Some people were questioning his motives, his teachings, even his faith. Others were constantly crowding him, wanting a piece of him, begging to perform like a circus act and do a miracle for them. He was also trying to teach these 12 guys how to be the people God wanted them to be, how to be the people God needed them to be. But honestly, they were pretty dense. The top religious officials and even Jesus' family had begun to say he's out of his mind. He's possessed by Beelzebul. Did you know that Beelzebul wasn't just a word Freddie Mercury made up? It's an actual thing in the Bible. Uh, Jews believed that he was the ruler of demons and caused demon worship and provoked wars. By the way, that Beelzebub accusation wasn't supposed to be taken lightly. If it was proven correct, it involved a sentence by stoning to death. That would have made me pretty anxious, I think, knowing that I might be stoned to death at any moment. Jesus had even healed a man who had been possessed by a huge number of demons and had caused significant distress to his community. But when the town saw what Jesus had done, instead of thanking him, the people pleaded with Jesus to leave their region. Admittedly, not all of Jesus' days were totally difficult. There were some people who showed deep trust when they asked Jesus to help them. Others, once they were healed, went and told everyone what Jesus had done for them, and people were amazed. But by and large, the gossip about Jesus was mixed, and that must have stressed him. He must have had doubts and questions about what was happening, how this was all going to work. The past days and weeks must have at least tried to replay themselves on a loop in his mind. 
Jesus was human after all, and if we're not careful, the past can quickly become a feature in our hearts and minds. But even if Jesus was able to let go of the past, consider the anxiety he must have felt about his future. He had at least a basic understanding that it was his calling to go to the cross. He knew that journey would be filled with intense suffering. But how would it all work? What would it feel like? How would he cope? Jesus was human, and just like all humans, the future was hazy, and not knowing is a difficult place for people. So the future and the past must have been at least in the recesses of Jesus' mind as he crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake. I wonder if he felt dread and exhaustion when a large crowd immediately gathered around him when he reached the shores. Even if he was weary to the bone and perhaps even wary of those wanting his attention. When a leader of the synagogue came and fell at his feet, Jesus was instantly present with Jairus. The father began to plead in earnestly with Jesus. My little daughter is dying. Come and put your hands on her so that she may be healed and live. Rather than thinking of all the things he needed to do, rather than saying he was too tired, rather than being preoccupied with the past or worried about the future, immediately Jesus followed Jairus. More than likely, the crowd knew who Jairus was. As a leader of the synagogue, he would have been an important figure in town. Seeing Jairus' desperation, grown men didn't beg or fall to their knees in the ancient world. Hearing how close to death the little girl was, you would think that the crowd would have parted and allowed the men to rush to the girl's deathbed. But instead, the crowd followed Jesus, pressing around him. Most of us don't mind an occasional hug or pat on the back, but being in a huge crowd where everyone is pressing in leaves a lot of us feeling pretty anxious. I wonder if Jesus felt similarly in the midst of everyone touching and trying to get at him. I also wonder if Jesus felt at all worried about how the situation with Jairus' daughter was going to work. If he healed her, would Jairus be pleased, or would he, like so many others, turn against Jesus once the miracle had been performed? But despite all the thoughts that could have been, perhaps even must have been, running through Jesus' mind, when a woman who had been sick for over 12 years and suffered greatly trying to get well touched him, he immediately felt it. No matter how much was going on in and around him, Jesus was able to be present. He stopped, looked at the crowd, and said, who touched my clothes? Can you imagine the looks on the crowd's faces when he asked that? Some must have been confused. Did I hear him rightly? Others probably smirked, wondering if the gossip was real and this was indeed a crazy man. The disciples, I always imagine them sort of saying this in a stage whisper out the side of their mouths. Um, you see the crowd pressing in around you and you wonder who touched you? But Jesus would not be rushed. He continued to be present, in touch with his surroundings, grounded in his knowledge of his calling. Finally, the woman, who as soon as she touched Jesus had been healed, came and fell at his feet and told him, I love how Mark puts this, the whole truth. Rather than being annoyed at her for interrupting his rush to Jairus' house or being mad because she tried to get a sneak healing, Jesus blessed her and sent her away in peace. 
While Jesus was grounded in the present as he spoke with the woman, I'm sure Jairus was not. He must have been so anxious about his daughter, wondering if they would reach her in time. As Jesus was speaking to the woman who was healed, people came from Jairus' home and told him the worst news. Your daughter is dead. Even though Jesus was focused on blessing the woman, he was so present, so attuned to his surroundings that he overheard the news about the little girl and said to her father, don't be afraid, just believe. Only at this point did Jesus dismiss the crowd and their distractions. He took just three of his disciples and went to Jairus' home where he dismissed everyone gathered at the house. And then he went and he brought the little girl back to life. If Jesus hadn't been able to remain present, attuned to his surroundings in the midst of his worries about his past and future, Grounded amongst all the distractions of the crowd, he would not have been able to fulfill his calling to help people know God's love. Conversely, if Jesus had not been so focused on fulfilling his calling to help people know God's love, then he would not have been able to be so present with those who needed him. A key to remaining present, to not replaying our past on a loop or obsessing about our futures, is to focus on God's presence in our lives, to listen for God's voice here and now calling you to help people come to know his love and then to act on whatever God is calling you to do. Hearing God's call, how do we do that? What does God's voice sound like? How do we distinguish God's voices from other voices? I can hear the anxiety and the excuses already. But perhaps it's not as hard as it seems. Last Monday, I received a phone call that one of the guys in our church was in the hospital following emergency surgery. I had a bad cold, so I could not go to the hospital, and the other folks I generally called to do a visit were also unavailable. Suddenly, I realized I should email the men's fellowship, mostly to let them know one of their buddies was having a rough time, but also to see if any of them were available. Within minutes of hitting send, I had guys saying that they would be at the hospital soon. Within hours, guys were calling up reports after seeing their friend. Within the day, guys were already planning on how to take care of him when he came home. When I sent the email to the guys, they could have thought, oh, that's too bad, he'll be in my thoughts and prayers, but I have a really busy schedule, I can't possibly get over there. They could have been so focused on the future that they would have ignored their present need of their friend. Or they could have thought of any experiences in the past that were traumatic that had to do with being sick or hospitalized and used that as a reason not to visit. But instead, they were present to God's calling to bring his love to their brother. Folks, being present to God's calling to share his love with those in need doesn't have to be hard or require super spiritual powers. It just requires us to stop focusing on the past and obsessing about the future and instead be present in the here and now with ears listening for God's prompting. That said, learning to be present takes a little practice. For better or worse, there isn't a present switch to turn off and on when we want it. Throughout the centuries, Christians have found the practice of walking a labyrinth, a helpful way to learn how to be present and come to better know God's presence. Let me share with you how one theologian described a labyrinth and its purposes. 
A labyrinth is a kind of maze laid out in a perfect circle with a curling path inside. It rarely comes with walls. Instead, it trusts those who enter it to stay on the path voluntarily. This path may be outlined with hand-placed stones out of doors or painted right on the floor indoors. Either way, it includes switchbacks and detours just like life. It has one entrance and it leads to one center. The important thing to note is that the path goes nowhere. You can spend an hour on it and end up 12 feet from where you began. The journey is the point. The walking is the thing. Where you are going is not important, however counterintuitive it may seem. To detach the walking from the destination is in fact one of the best ways to recognize the altars, the places where God is most present. You are passing by all the time. Most of us spend so much time thinking about where we have been or where we're supposed to be going that we have a hard time recognizing where we actually are. Our friends at Peace Lutheran have an outdoor labyrinth that we've been invited to walk whenever we want. But since it would be a little hard for us to do that all together this morning, in your bulletin this morning, you should have received what's called a finger labyrinth. I forgot to bring one up here, so Angie, will you wave yours around? Thank you. Looks like that. Thank you. In the next few moments of silent prayer and reflection, you might use that finger labyrinth to help you work on being present in the here and now. You might, help you, you might use it to help you recognize where you actually are. Trace your finger over the path, and when any memories of the past or thoughts about the future come to mind, let them go and simply listen for God's voice in the quiet, calling you to share his love with those around you. And of course, that piece of paper can be folded up and slipped into a, a wallet or a purse and taken with you for whenever you need to be grounded in God. Let us pray and reflect in silence. 